Welcome to the podcast Benzo Tired. I'm your host, Naftal Benesti, and I'm Dutch. Join me on my journey into the world of benzodiazepines, withdrawal, bind, and more. Disclaimer, always consult your physician for medical advice. This is episode 22, Black Box Warning and Deprescribing Guidance. And today it's February 1st, 2023. Now, what I like about this particular two-part episode is that one of them is black box warning, which I discuss um, basically, you know, an authority recognizing, you know, harms that come with benzodiazepines. And then the second part is actually how to come off them. Um, So it's very informative, in my opinion. And I just really remember one of the aspects of my podcast was kind of like informing people as compressed as I could or can. And I think this episode pretty much covers like risks and dangers, but also a very good guide on how to safely come off them. In 2020, the FDA updated their black box warning. Now, what is the FDA? It stands for United States Food and Drug Administration. Now, what is a black box warning? It is the strongest warning that the FDA requires and signifies that medical studies indicate that the drug carries a significant risk of serious or even life-threatening adverse effects. Now, how did this update came to be? Well, that's thanks to the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, and I will add a link in the description for more information, and I urge you to have a look. Now, here are the FDA review findings. Adverse benzodiazepine events occur with prescribed therapeutic use. Physician education about benzodiazepine safety is lacking. Withdrawal was longer than expected. The median length of withdrawal symptoms was nine and a half months. Physical dependence occurred within days or weeks. Median onset time to physical dependence was 14 days. Abrupt and over-rapid tapers are harming patients. Protracted withdrawals can last 12 months or more post-secession. In the longest case, in the 104K series, withdrawal symptoms lasted eight years and were still present. In September 2020, the FDA announced a new benzodiazepine boxed warning. The warning now includes the risk of abuse, addiction, physical dependence, and withdrawal reactions. The FDA now recommends judicious benzodiazepine prescribing, gradual benzodiazepine tapering, standardized warning labels on all benzodiazepines. Now, the updated black box warning for benzodiazepines contains three bullet points. I am going to read one of them aloud, which I will elaborate on. But again, um, in one of the links in the description of the podcast, you'll be able to read it yourself. The continued use of benzodiazepines, including Valium, may lead to clinically significant physical dependence. The risks of dependence and withdrawal increase with longer treatment duration and higher daily dose. Abrupt discontinuation or rapid dosage reduction of Valium after continued use may precipitate acute withdrawal reactions, which can be life-threatening. To reduce the risk of withdrawal reactions, Use a gradual taper to discontinue Valium or reduce the dosage. And then between brackets, it says C dosage and administrations and warnings. Now, on the website of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, they will tell you this. 
The benzodiazepine box warning remains an incomplete achievement. Unaddressed problems remain. Many problems were not addressed in the warning, including no help for harmed patients, no help for future patients. Most prescribers are unaware of the warning's existence with no strategy in place to inform them. No calls for smaller dosing for safer secession. FDA seems unsure of how to safely taper and offers little gui guidance beyond slow. No awareness of the level of harm some patients are suffering. No warnings about withdrawal-induced echothasia or fluoroquinolone. I cannot pronounce this. I'm sorry. It's fluoroquinolone interaction. I think interaction. So I'm, I'm I'm thinking they mean antibiotics with this. I'm sorry. I'm doing my other best here, people. But you know, English not my native language. And then they state why we still consider the FDA's boxed warning a victory for patient safety. The FDA finally took a stance on benzodiazepines after more than 60 years of patient harm and regulator inaction. The FDA officially recognized protracted withdrawal syndromes. The FDA acknowledged the need to for slow tapering. The FDA is an authority recognized by physicians so patients and activists can cite their findings. Now praise the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition for making this happen. It's something. And that's better than nothing. And I think they really, you know, tried, did, did their best, and just making this happen. I mean, they. I think what I've read is that they started to try to make it happen since 2017, and then eventually in 2020, it actually happened. So good, good, very thankful. And I agree with everything, you know, that is on the website about what's the achievement and you know what's lacking um i i totally agree and i really want to um zoom in as you will i really want to emphasize on the following it's the strategy the lack of the strategy i mean to me it's bizarre it's so bizarre mind-blowing out of this world that an institution a, an authority of a country that is supposed to warn people about drugs or inform them at least is recognizing, acknowledging all of this stuff. And then it's like, okay, we, well, we finally, after 60 years plus, we, um, yes, we agree that these drugs can have potential, deadly, life threatening, awful outcomes. But okay, thank you. Bye. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. They may be bad. You know, yeah, actually, we acknowledge that these drugs can be very harmful. And then leave it at that. You know, I mean, yes, they they issue the black box warning. So I'm presuming, at least for new prescriptions, that people either see it on the box or they see it in the insert pamphlet. I don't know. But what i'm just a, a loss of words in a way i'm like i'm shocked like on one side i'm like yeah finally acknowledgement the other side is like but now what bitches what you gonna do with all the people that were already harmed <laughs> now obviously this could be a debate that could last hours on end like why didn't the fda or doesn't the fda take more actions make a strategy make all the physicians make them send a letter to everyone that was harmed before 2020 
you know, we can talk about forever. You know, I mean, you can probably presume what I think. They should take action. Like, hey, you've been on a benzodiazepine for 45 years. We've just recently discovered, we actually, you know, secretly, we already knew years before, but now that we officially see and recognize this shit, we felt like we should warn you that these drugs are potentially harmful. And if you want to come off them, you need to do that very slowly. And by the way, sorry for us poisoning uh, you or letting that happen, not protecting our citizens, but you know, at least we send you a letter now. It That would be... You know, I think that would be a good course of actions or because don't send it to the doctors. Don't send don't send no letters to a doctor because sorry, you're they're probably good doctors out there. But there's also going to be doctors like, oh, fuck, I've been poisoning my patients for, you know, such a long time. Ooh, I'm not going to reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm sorry, but it probably poisoned you, blah, blah, blah. You know, so that is like <gasps> shocking to me. Now, and, and, you know, that would be my kind of, you know, one of my many critiques that I have about this. One of the good things, though, because I also have a positive thing. I mean, there are positive things that there is a black box warning now that states life-threatening stuff and death and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that would, you know, for me, that would have been something that I would have looked for because I, I, I'm pretty sure that once I got prescribed a benzodiazepine, mind you, I was very desperate. I wasn't sleeping. So, you know, I was really, really desperate. I just wanted something, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I read the insert pamphlet. I was like, okay, side effects, possible, possible side effects, or, you know, like, oh, maybe that won't happen to me. Not sure how you guys would go through a pamphlet like that, but, you know, basically all pamphlets are like, well, you know, one out of, 10,000 people can get really bizarre side effects, something like that. But if I would, in my case, because this is how I see it, like if I had that black boxed warning and I read that like life threatening, that would be one thing that I'd be like, ooh, these drugs can possibly cause death. Okay, so these are not safe drugs to me then. So I'm pretty sure that it would have influenced me continuing or discontinuing my benzodiazepine so that is something that i deeply miss and i still miss it in the dutch pamphlet which i will get back on later um and another thing that is positive is the whole slow taper although it's not like what is slow and i think you know that the big the benzodiazepine information coalition they did comment on that like it's just slow it needs you know further explanation um but also, I will get to that later in this episode. But yeah, I just I just wanted to share it. Now, it's great that the United States of America have an updated black box warning on the benzodiazepines. And as far as I gather, so does Canada now. Now, I am not an American, neither Canadian. And gosh, so much to say. Where do we even start? So great that there's a black box warning Great, great, great. Still a lot of things that needs to be done, obviously. But one of my issues is that this is not arranged or taken care of internationally. And it reminds me of the COVID pandemic when, as a world, we basically paused. And yes, every country had their own strategy in terms of lockdowns, um, vac vaccinating, blah, blah, blah. A lot of stuff was possible during the pandemic, like there, at least in my country, the Netherlands, um, billions of euros were thrown around to, you know, to keep businesses up and running or whatever. 
So I would love for there to be an international strategy concerning benzodiazepines. I think it's impossible because, you know, countries are countries and different cultures and, you know, you know, it's hard. Um, one other thing that I find interesting about the lack of an international strategy is that the benzodiazepine that was prescribed to me first that I used for a couple of months is called lormetazepam and it's not even legal in the U.S. It's not approved. I had no idea that there were benzodiazepines <laughs> that some of them were not approved in certain countries. That is bizarre, but it just goes to show that there is nothing like an international strategy. And at least in terms of, you know, if you want to come off benzodiazepines and you want to do a slow taper and you have a doctor that doesn't believe in a slow taper or wants to cut you off, at least in the United States, you can present them, look, this is the black box warning. It clearly states that they recommend a slow taper and I wish to do a slow taper. Um, of course, you can have a shitty ass doctor who is like, well, I don't believe in that shit. I'm just going to cut you off. I mean, that would be horrible. But at least you can give that as an evidence, you know, next to the Astro Manual. There, there are things out there, but you can definitely just say, hey, this is the black box warning. If you're living in another country, I, I don't know how that would work. Because um, I'm going to be honest with y'all, <laughs> with y'all, um, in my country, I feel like the United States is looked, you know, down on. Like, ugh, the Americans, they have, like, ads for commercials. It's crazy over there. It's like the Wild West, and all the Americans are popping pills, so don't believe them. Possibly, that could be the mentality here. So I am not sure if I would go to a GP or a psychiatrist, whoever prescribed me the benzos. I'm like, hey, I want to come off the benzos. Here's the Astro Manual. You know, in my experience, no one read the Astro Manual. <laughs> no one knew about it, 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 its existence. So that's one thing. Um, but if I didn't have the Astro Manual, I would just say, hey, look, this is what the American FDA has stated on their black box warning. I mean... It's, it's, you can try, you can try to provide evidence and stuff like that, but you can still run into doctors who go their own way, but at least it's something. Part two, the benzodiazepine deprescribing guidance. I will add a link in the description of the episode so you can look at it yourself online. Um, lots to say as well here. First of all, I think the first time I heard about this was on Benzo Buddies. And then later in my research, I found it. And for some odd reason, I had it saved on my computer. I probably looked it through. Um, but then recently, so like way after I saved it on my computer, I was, I read it again. I was like, this is such a good document. It has six logos on it. So these six institutions, as you will. Um, I guess they work together into making it. Um, one of them is the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Um, another one is Easing Anxiety. Another one is Colorado Consortium for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention. The other one is the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. The other one is Center for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention. And the other one is the Scriber Research Group. Now, I'm not going to read the entire document, but I would um, urge you, like with everything that I mention and every information that I find, to go and check it yourself if you're interested in it. Now, it mentions the subgroup of individuals that get really sick from benzodiazepines. 
And they also mentioned that a lot of people that suffer greatly or get all these symptoms go online, and that's why they felt like more support is needed. So true. So, so true. Now, they made this document after the FDA updated their black box warning, and they do mention it. So they kind of reemphasize on the slow taper, etc. Another thing that they point out is the loss of efficacy of benzodiazepines over time. They also mention the risks and the benefits that may come with uh, benzodiazepines. It also mentions that the prescribing decisions should be a collaboration between patient and prescriber. So true, so true. As you can hear, I am very enthusiastic about this document. Something that they also mention is to establish a flexible, gradual taper plan before tapering. And they underline the flexible, and I like that. So I am seeing that as a symptom-based taper. You can make any sort of schedule, but it needs to be flexible. So I agree. And perhaps maybe I haven't said this at all throughout my podcast series, but at least for me, as you know, if you've listened to my previous episodes, I received cognitive behavioral therapy for tinnitus and insomnia prior to actually starting my first taper. And that was very helpful to me. It wasn't like all saving, obviously, because benzodiazepine withdrawal can be such a brutal bitch and it can, you know, you know, I hope not, but if you do, you know. Anyways, what they say is, so prior, is discuss lifestyle modifications like diet, exercise, sleep hygiene, meditation, and stress reduction. I think, yeah, like, obviously, before you go into this horrible, awful taper, um, be prepared. Um, You know, so again, also agree, agree. Just overall, before tapering, you really need to have, in my opinion, a really good conversation with the patient. Check out all the factors in that person's life that didn't happen with me it was like okay we're just gonna cut your dose good luck goodbye Uh, obviously um not sufficient and um i'm still thinking planning on doing a whole episode about you know individual kind of support and just uh, a strategy for each person each individual um while tapering or prior to tapering Something else that I really love about this document is that they have a part um, stating tapering principles, and they start off with a symptom-based patient-directed taper is the best approach. Now, if you're into the Benzo world, if you listen to my episodes, you will most likely agree that that is the best thing to do, to have a, you know, patient-led taper. The second bullet point in that kind of area is initiate with a small test reduction which is um, 5% or less of current of the current dose, allow the patient to lead subsequent reduction amounts intervals based on tolerability of withdrawal symptoms. Now, this is such a strong, valid point because if you're listening to this episode, you probably got very sick or you are very sick because of benzodiazepine withdrawal. Now, obviously, there are people that don't struggle as much as I do or perhaps you do with tapering or coming off or down of their benzodiazepines Um, but if everyone would just do this every prescriber every psychiatrist every gp that you see and you're like i want to come off or whatever 
Um, and if they do a test and maybe someone is fine, you know, with, a, you know, okay, so you reacted really well on a, just a very, you know, small reduction, so we can go higher. Because obviously, you know, I am so for a slow taper, but some people may not need a slow taper because their, you know, withdrawal isn't as intense. Um, but that way you can kind of check with people. If you're a doctor, prescriber, whatever, whatnot, you can do the 5% or less reduction. If someone is like, oh, I didn't notice anything. Um, okay, we can you know, do another reduction, either larger or just as large. But if someone is like, hey, I, I'm having heart palpitations, I'm not sleeping, I'm becoming suicidal, blah, 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 or I'm just getting, you know, ecathasia, you know, the whole list of, you know, that's possible with benzodiazepine withdrawal, then it can be an aha moment for the prescriber, like, oh, this is one of those patients that gets really sick and or super depressed from coming off of benzodiazepine. So, you know, we need another strategy. This is so important. And just this alone, <laughs> Uh, even if this document is not going to be implemented by doctors, prescribers, that rule alone, that is something that I would really want for it to, that to happen internationally. This is something that I missed so much because if my doctors had listened to me where I stated I become so ill <laughs> when I reduce my dose, they would be like, oh, Okay, well, they could have said, like I said it so many times in a previous episode, it's like, okay, we don't know exactly how to help you, which is, you know, a bummer, and they should, but they, you know, oftentimes they just don't. Um, but it means that you're very sensitive, so either hold your dose, we need to come up with another strategy, or, you know, I know it's mind-blowing to say, but maybe a doctor can be like, you know what, I don't exactly know how to help people like you, maybe you should check the internet. I would have had so much fun fucking respect if a doctor did that uh, you know you know how it is now something that is close to my heart in this section of tapering principles is the following bullet point stating the following skipping doses supplemental rescue doses or updosing increased risk of kindling updosing may be necessary in case of over rapid reduction and severe symptomatology if i pronounce that right and then they say between brackets example given acathasia suiciality now the acathasia <laughs> the acathasia that happened in my in the last episode prior to this one where i share my taper story I basically have seizures and echothasia at the end of my you know long hold four milligrams of diazepam slash valium which, you know, I, I decided to updose. And then later on, I read this part and I had already updosed to five. I was like, oh, okay. Now, again, maybe I should do another episode, but kindling um, is, it's, it's benzo slang. I think originally it comes from alcohol withdrawal and they had just applied it to benzos, as far as I know. Don't chop my head off if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, the principle, I think the principle of kindling is, is when you try to come off benzos, for example, the first time you go back up or you keep reinstating, you keep updosing, you know, whatnot. Um, I, I think the theory behind it is it, um, it gets harder every time you try to taper or you could do it a couple of times and be fine. And then all of a sudden the sixth time or, you know, example given here, all of a sudden you're having a horrible, terrible withdrawal. So 
I think that I would agree with the kindling. However, I also want to mention this. So just looking at my personal story, and I know this happens to other people as well. So, okay, back to me. So I had a first taper that went terribly wrong. It was way too fast, and I ended up reinstating because of that. Now, I still believe, and I, will, I think I will always believe that it was the better decision for me to do. Because, you know, they didn't know how to help me and I, I didn't know what was wrong with me and I didn't know why I was so extremely depressed and I didn't know why I wasn't sleeping. All these reasons where none of us were benzo wise at the time, including my psychiatrist. However, though, this is not ideal. I um, because I guess kindling already happened with me unknowingly because I really wanted to come off that first attempt, you know, for that taper. I was like, yeah, I am ready to come off that benzodiazepines i'm not even sure if i was like super aware of benzodiazepines maybe i was like i am ready to come off this florazepam now anyways so um kindling would already have happened with me and then obviously in my story second taper um it, it resulted in a cold turkey and then me instating of you know in terms of what i should have taken was about 45 milligrams of you know diazepam slash valium took seven. Oh my gosh. And you know, those first few months in benzo hell, I, I, I didn't know what was wrong. I did. I mean, I knew it was because of the tapering, the benzos, but other than that, all the symptoms, I had no clue. I thought I was crazy and I was just really super sick. So I was really sick. I was really like in the pits of hell for months, for months. Anyways, in that short period of time before I got benzo wise, <laughs> I was like, oh, let me cut. Okay, well, I'm still sick. I'm still gonna cut. Oh, this is just unbearable. I'm gonna updose a little bit. So I, in my personal story, I kept on going back up and down. And I, I even recently, I, you know, I, I went from four milligrams to five milligrams. So I, it is just, um, okay, so back to, and I know it happens to other people as well that, oh, I got really sick and I had to updose, I had to reinstate, what's wrong, don't know. And then they get benzoized and then they're already kindled in a way, possibly. Um, so I did want to mention that. Now, where I struggle a little bit with um, this bullet point quote is um, it's saying like, oh, if you're becoming super suicidal or just suicidal in general, or if you have akathasia, you can consider to updose. Now, I get the whole considering because you need to really consider it. Um, but in a way, you know, maybe it's me reading this. It's like, okay, so if I have akathasia, I should updose or I should really consider to updose. Um, that's kind of, you know, murky waters, I think. So I decided to updose because I was like, okay, this is just getting my physical symptoms or just altogether symptoms are becoming so extreme and just... I, I had grand mal seizures. I'm pretty sure of that. And that scares the shit out of me. Scares me more than benzo held. Scares me more than two months of barely sleeping. Um, so, you know, I had to really consider and I did it. But what happens if you have akathasia throughout your whole taper? Or what if it comes, you know, it comes and it goes? I don't know about akathasia and how... I mean, I've read it on the boards a couple times, or I mean, I, I've read that people had it, but usually it's because, well, basically like me, they were like in too rapid withdrawal. Um, I, I wouldn't say I feel a bit lonely, but I feel like I don't see a lot of stories like mine where the physical symptoms, like the, the seizures and the echothasia, the jerks. Now, something else super important is what they state here is complete discontinuation may take 12 to 18 months or longer. 
Wow. I mean, we all know this. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably know that benzodiazepine withdrawal can last for years, <laughs> can last really, really, really long. So having all these detox facilities that claim that they can get you off, and even in my country, the Netherlands, basically the standard sort of protocol is a couple of weeks, maybe two months or something. So that's crazy. And, you know, this really connects well with the FDA black box warning. So I think, you know, at least the world, there's so many things, but the world needs to wake the fuck up and realize that some people need a long ass tam to try and come off these drugs. Now, something that they discuss earlier in the document, um, I think it's called, yeah, so that part is called decision-making for deprescribing. One of the bullet points states the following, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, that's kind of, it's triggering, not necessarily in a bad way for me, but um, I'm missing that a lot on the forums. Okay, so it's the following. Note that some patients may be unable to withdraw completely, and a more suitable goal may be reduction or maintenance of the current dose. And maybe this is in the cards for me. I just don't know yet. W while I'm recording this, I'm on five milligrams of diazepam slash Valium. What I think is very important, and I'm just, th this is a very, this is my advice. And I try to be careful with, you know, advising other people, but may, I, I'm not reading any of this. And I feel like it could be a good kind of advice. Like when we get sick from benzodiazepine withdrawal or, and we get benzoized and we're like, whoa, these drugs are motherfucking destroying my receptors and they're evil and you know how it goes. Like when you find out the truth and you're like, oh my gosh, this is poison. I've never should have taken it or I've never should have taken it that long or, you know, et cetera. However, um, and this kind of, kind of connects to the long holding perhaps a little bit is, so again, this would be my advice. Like there's a lot of people and I've, I've spoken to some of, you know, other people that are in benzodiazepine withdrawal, maybe in earlier stages where they still need to do a crossover or whatnot. I think in general, I would be like, okay, you need to do a crossover or you want to do a crossover. Let that be goal number one. Don't think about that zero just yet. If you really want to get there. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but first you need to focus on the goal on making the crossover happen. So that could be a goal on its own. I, I've said that actually, it's a goal on its own. But a lot of people, including myself, for the longest time, I was like, I need to get to zero. I need to get to zero. I want off, I want off. And you know, I think perhaps it would be better, even though I know we all wanna get to zero, or at least the most, most of us, I want nothing to do with these benzos but you know, you know how it is. Um, I can't just quit, unfortunately. But what I'm trying to say here is like, okay, so we got the crossover. Possibly that could be goal number one. Um, I think a better goal would be to stabilize at a certain dose and then see how to move on or not. So possibly for me, it could be like, okay, I got stable at five and I'll go to the zero some other time later on. But the goal now is to stabilize at five. Not sure if it will work, but that is my goal now. I wish you know, everything with like in hindsight, in hindsight, um, well, depending on which moment in time I would be at, but let's say I um, instated the seven milligrams I, I, or, you know, that's what I started on with the diazepam slash Valium in my taper. I was deathly ill and I probably wouldn't, you know, it would have been hard to convince myself to updose back then. Um, but I, I, I would have not 
cut, I would have just, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stabilize at seven. That's my goal now. And if I feel better, I'll think about the next step. So I'm also saying like, you can do stuff like my goal now is depending on where you are in your taper, um, to get stable on an X amount of benzo and then I'll see. Um, so that zero goal should be, it's like a, it's a good long-term goal, but you need goals in between. That's what I'm trying to say. The goal in between can be, I want to stabilize at 10 milligrams of diazepam slash Valium or five milligrams. No, no, that, that's insanely high, by the way. Uh, one milligram of Ativan slash Lorazepam, something like that. There can be in between goals. But I think it's just very natural for people like me to be like, but I want to get off, I want to get off, I want to get to the zero. But for me now, like after so much suffering and such an intense, wow, taper slash life slash symptoms, all that, it's like, okay, now my goal is getting stable on five, and then we'll see. Oh, or then I'll see. So in between goals could be helpful, in my opinion. Now they discuss the taper techniques of cut and hold and micro taper. Now cut and hold seems very simple. If you don't know what it is, I'm guessing you know what it is. Um, I, yeah, look it up. I do want to mention something about the micro taper. So they state like daily micro reductions with a percent dose reduction from current dose calculated monthly. I, I, they give some examples, but, um, I think it's, I think it's a great strategy. Um, I would be all, I, actually, I wanted to do that in June, 2022 after my Oasis, I wanted to do like a hundredth of a milligram of diazepam slash Valium either a day or a week. So I wanted to, but of course, obviously it's difficult to, you know, make that in terms of practicality, it's very difficult to do that if not impossible, you can do a liquid titration, you can use a syringe, but you know, it's a hassle. Um, the thing that I kind of struggle a bit a little bit is a micro taper can also be like a micro cuts weekly, monthly, you know? Um, so um, here they specifically say daily basis where I would be like, well, you can do it every week or every couple of days. Now it reminds me of, I mean, there's so many people that did taper different ways, including the micro taper. Um, I remember seeing Le the Lisa Ling special. I think it's called the Benzo Crisis. I'm not really sure. Anyways, um, there was a woman that was doing something like that. I think I remember, and she was doing a water titration, and then she had the schedule, but she would hold if things were, you know, get too rough. So, I mean, as I I've heard that she got off eventually. Good for her. Um, but then I'm like, okay, you can like do daily cuts and then they accumulate and then you feel bad and then you hold, why not do a, you know, a, a micro cut each week? And then you may not have to hold just, you know, just thoughts here. Now they include resources for patients and prescribers. Obviously one of them is going to be Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Um, basically all the organizations, um, that are connected to this document. Um, obviously they're in it, but they also mentioned the Asher manual. So, I mean, like in my opinion, that's what makes this, you know, such a good document. It does really tick all the boxes in my opinion, all the things that you should know in terms of tapering, because obviously the FDA black box warning doesn't say what slow is and how to taper and stuff like that. It, uh, in the Netherlands, there's something. Well, we don't have a black box warning. 
all it says in my insert pamphlet is gradual. That's what they say. They don't even say slow. They say gradual, whatever that means, right? So exactly. So this would help you to determine what gradual is. Now they also mention um, the conversion table and they use two sources. So they have the Ashton conversion, but they also have a clinical calculator, which is clincalc.com, which gives more of a range. Um, it's great to have those two in one kind of overview. I think that's a good thing. And then I look at the cleancalc.com and sometimes I really have to register. I know I've known for a long time that my original dose was basically equal to 45 milligrams of diazepam slash Valium for years, people, for a long time. And I sometimes just struggle with registering that I was on such a high dose. My gosh. Now the document ends with a lot of references that they made throughout the doc document. So a lot of um, scientifically done research that they refer to. Um, so also good, it's a really like, they tell you this is where we found this information. This is where you can check that information. So I like that a lot. This is a, just in my opinion, a very, very good document. Now, in terms of practicality, because I remember at some point I was like, you know, by the way, who prints nowadays? I mean, I, I have a printer. I don't think the ink works. I don't know who pr I don't print a lot or at all. Anyways, so um, I remember um, earlier when I discovered the Ashton manual, I was like, okay, but this is like a lot of pages if I want to print this because I wanted to print it out and just give it to everybody involved, like to my GP, like you have to read this because you should know this before you prescribe benzodiazepines. And if people get sick or if people want to come off, you should have known about this. And you know, my doctor is old. You know, I think he was already allowed to retire two years ago. So he's mofo old. Anyways, so I was like, okay, well, you know, you need, you need to read this. And then I was like, my addiction doctor needs a copy. The nurse that accompanied, accompanied him should get a copy. My psychiatrist should get a copy. Now, eventually I, I didn't print it out. And I told my psychiatrist, like, look on Google. I think at one time I had a visit with her. I went to see her and I was like, Google this now. You need to read this. You need to, you need to read this. I want to wake all y'all up because this is, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's been out there for so long and I, I just wanted to print out a ton of them and let the Senate to doc, all the GP offices, like this is a pandemic. People are getting super sick and you don't know anything about this and you should read this. But my point to the story is, <laughs> is that if you print it out, you will print out all the, the schedules, the example schedules that Ashton made, all the symptoms, blah, blah, blah. And I don't even know how many pages you would get in total, but I will tell you a lot. And then I was thinking like, maybe I can just do the symptoms and her kind of view on a slow taper, et cetera, but still it's kind of a large document. Um, however, so with this one, it's six pages long. And if you do like a double print or a double-sided print, you'll have three pieces of paper. So that's more doable. Now, the only thing that I perhaps see would be an issue, even though in my opinion, this document is great and the organizations involved, including the Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, who has done so much good work, you know, especially with the FDA and everything. This is, you know, I know Christy Huff currently is the director. I've spoken with her a little bit. Um, anyways, it's it's a great organization for people like me slash us. However, my 
concern would be a little bit like, I, for example, I print this out and I present this to a Dutch doctor. Or even if you're in America or wherever you live, you present this document like, look, there's scientific proof. There's references, including the Astro Manual. This is what I want to do. My fear would be kind of like, oh, we don't know these organizations. Are they like approved scientifically, blah, blah, blah. I, I could foresee that, you know, a, a doctor would be frowning. Like, hmm, where'd you get this from? This doesn't look very official to me. Um, so that could be an issue. But, you know, if you're assertive and you're like, well, this is what I believe. This is what I want to do. Either you're on board or you're not. Um, yeah, so if you would have a really tricky doctor, you may have to need or not, I don't know, um, to get the Astro Manual printed out. But, you know, in this in these times with, you know, climate change and, you know, trees, you got to save the trees. Um, I'm always kind of like, do I really need to print something out when we all have computer screens in the office, at home, we on our phones for crying out loud. So, like, check your phone, www.google or whatever you have, Bing, Bing, I don't know, Microsoft, search, something. Who knows? In 10 years time, it might maybe something else. Um but I wonder if doctors would read it. And I do want to comment a little bit about making doctors read anything at all. So in my personal experience, oh my gosh, like for real. First of all, I, of course, asked my addiction doctor once I found out about the Astro Manual, like, do you know about it? He didn't know about it. I asked him to read it. I don't think he ever read it. At least he never confirmed with me and... I, it's hard for me to say what another person is thinking because I just don't know. But I think his attitude was kind of like, well, you're the only one that I ever had that is struggling so much. So I'm not going to read. I, I uh, okay, I'll get to this. So um, at least my psychiatrist read it, but I think she sped read it. So like very quickly, like, okay, these are her principles, blah, blah. And I guess that she's like, well, I don't really do, I'm not an addiction doctor, I'm a psychiatrist. Still, I think everyone should read it or have it in their education, whatnot. Um, but anyways, um, at least she did some effort. Then my GP, when I confronted him, like, hey, I am really, or I was, or I am really sick because of benzodiazepines and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm guessing this, you know, is for all the GPs, is that they're rushed and they only have a certain amount of time to help people. I mean, I'm not validating, I'm not defending this at all, but he was like, I'm super busy. I don't got no time to read any of that stuff. Basically, in so many words, you know, he said that to me. And of course, that is so frustrating to me as a harm patient when I'm like, okay, but you're so eager to, to you know, hand these um, very potent and possibly life-threatening drugs out like candy, but you don't want to read about what they can do. So that sucks. <laughs> it totally sucks. And it's like more related to me, in my personal opinion, seeing that doctors don't want, want to be bothered or they're like, ah, too much hashtag, too much trouble. Um, we're not bothered. Ugh, we want to, we have to read something. I'm like, but that, in my opinion, this is your responsibility, doctors. Like whatever profession, I mean, I got into my education as a social worker. They taught me, and I'm guessing, just guessing here, whatever profession you have is that it's your job or your employer's job to make sure that everything new that is associated with your profession, you know, you need schooling, you need updates, stuff like that. And I'm presuming doctors read journals and magazines or whatever, if there's like updates, new medications, 
new warnings, but they just seem to be hesitant or just not motivated. And I, I, I'm thinking here personally, if a doctor is like, but you know, even though it's scientific based, I don't want to read it because whatever reasons, that is just criminal because you could be harming more patients than you know. Because that's also something that I really felt with my GP is that he, I think he really did not have a clue on people that got really, really sick of benzodiazepines. It was like, well, oh, I didn't know that could happen. Well, now you know, motherfucker. So why not? And I mean the Ashton Manual or just the document that I just mentioned. So my thing would be is 30 minutes of your time too much to ask for a life that you, in the best scenario, ruined for a couple of years? You know, best scenario, like silver linings, blah, blah. Maybe you have ruined people's entire lives by prescribing this. So I'm asking you at least 30 minutes of your time. And if you feel like I'm not worth it, that says something about you and your profession and that you're supposed to protect me and you didn't. Thank you for listening to the episode. Be well, be safe. Remember, it's not a race. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, go to paypal.me slash